It's Monday, May 13th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, we're diving into the drama going down between the U.S., the EU, and Iran. We'll explain why Europe doesn't want to unsubscribe to the Iran nuclear deal. Then, Julian Assange was all over your morning news alerts. Again, we'll give you the details. And finally, the skim remembers movie icon Doris Day. We're here to make your Monday smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by Prudential. Prudential can help you understand your personal finances. Skim This helps you understand the news. For the past few weeks, tensions between the U.S. and Iran have been heating up. Last week, the U.S. claimed Iran was threatening U.S. troops overseas and sent a bunch of ships and planes to the Persian Gulf, right in Iran's backyard. Today, Saudi Arabia said two of its oil tankers in the Persian Gulf were attacked and damaged. No one's explicitly blaming Iran yet, but the U.S. had warned last week that Iran or its proxies might pull something like this. So today, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo crashed a meeting of EU foreign ministers in Brussels. He said he needed to talk to them about Iran ASAP. And the EU is concerned that tensions are getting out of hand. Here's UK Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt this morning. We are very worried about the risk of a conflict happening by accident uh, with an escalation that is unintended really on either side, but uh, ends with some kind of conflict. But this whole Iran situation is not as simple as the EU saying, yeah, we side with you. So we're going to get into why the U.S. and European countries are at odds on how to deal with Iran, how Europe has been coping, and what this means for the rest of the world. So the big underlying issue here is the Iran nuclear deal, the landmark agreement cut in 2015 by the U.S., a few EU countries, China, and Russia with Iran. They agreed to remove harsh economic sanctions against Iran. Iran said in return it would stop developing material to make a nuclear weapon and let inspectors come in to keep an eye on things. The big goal here was to reduce the threat of Iran having access to a nuclear weapon. Everyone signed the deal, and the European Union backed it up. But President Trump hated the deal. He said it wasn't tough enough on Iran. And last year in May, he pulled the U.S. out of it. Since then, the U.S. has ramped up its efforts to weaken Iran. For example, the U.S. reimposed massive sanctions, including targeting its banking and oil industries, which are the country's major moneymakers. The U.S. also designated Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard as a terrorist organization. And just last week, like we said, the U.S. sent an aircraft carrier and planes to Iran's backyard. Analysts say they're worried this will escalate the potential for war. And the EU is, too. Pompeo told CNBC today the U.S. doesn't want that. Our aim is not war. Our, our aim is a change in the behavior of the Iranian leadership. But the U.S. has been pretty alone in all of this. The rest of the countries that signed on to the Iran nuclear deal have held up their end of the bargain so far. France and the U.K. and Germany are still committed to preserving the deal. Last week, in response to all of these U.S. moves, Iran said it was pulling out of parts of the Iran nuclear deal. And that freaked everyone out. Here's the UK's foreign minister, Jeremy Hunt, again this morning. We need to make sure that we don't end up putting Iran back on the path to renuclearization because 
If Iran becomes a nuclear power, its neighbours are likely to want to become nuclear powers. This is already the most unstable region in the world. The EU countries have been trying to figure out how to keep the nuclear deal and be friends with the US too. So they've been helping Iran denuclearize their nuclear plants and helping them do research for civil projects, meaning nuclear projects that don't lead to weapons. Russia had been exchanging Iran's enriched uranium, key for making nuclear weapons, for natural uranium. And they've worked out a way to do deals. Earlier this year, France, the UK, and Germany announced a new financial system that would help European countries do business with companies in Iran without actually exchanging any money. It's called Instex, not Instax, the camera. Instex, with an E. But the Trump administration has not been happy about that, and it's letting its feelings out. Earlier this month, the administration gave countries a three-month deadline. After that three-month mark, the U.S. will revisit whether or not to put sanctions on those countries for helping Iran work on peaceful nuclear projects. And the U.S. now says that Russia can be sanctioned if it keeps exchanging uranium with Iran. The U.S. also said it's going to put sanctions on any country buying oil from Iran, and that European countries using that Instex exchange for anything but humanitarian goods to include industries like oil could face sanctions. So what's the skim? Iran's foreign minister has reportedly said Russia and China have had their back, but that Germany, France, and the UK aren't holding up their end of the bargain. Iran says that they've been slow getting the Instex exchange up and running. And so now Iran is setting its own ultimatum, giving all those countries 60 days to show that they'll protect Iran from U.S. sanctions. And that's ahead of the U.S. deadline. Otherwise, Iran says it will start enriching uranium at higher levels again. Meanwhile, Pompeo's surprise visit to EU foreign leaders today marked the second time in a week that he's changed up plans on European officials at the last minute. Last week, he canceled on German Chancellor Angela Merkel so he could secretly fly to Iraq amid concerns about Iran putting U.S. troops there in danger. Tomorrow, Pompeo is heading to Russia to meet with Russian President Putin. Remember, Russia is also signed on to the Iran nuclear deal, and Iran has said they've been supportive. On the agenda for those two to discuss, North Korea and Venezuela, and of course, Iran. Meanwhile, the U.S. is facing another potential power struggle with Sweden. They're about to get into a tug of war over the same famous fugitive. That story's next. You're feeling super adventurous. You hit the trail without a GPS. Ten minutes in, you wish you had a map. That's how most people deal with their finances. But Prudential can help lead you down the path to financial wellness. You can start by using their financial wellness assessment tool. In just five minutes, it can give you key insights into your financial health and help you navigate your way out of the woods, whatever your money situation is. Because you need to know where you stand right now so you can figure out where you're going. Prudential, here to help you plan financially for today and tomorrow. We've talked about the drama between the founder of WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, and the U.S. But other countries have beef with him, too. Today, Swedish authorities announced they're reopening an investigation into a woman's allegation that Assange sexually assaulted her. My assessment is that there is still probable cause to suspect that Mr. Assange committed rape. That's the translator for Sweden's deputy director of public prosecution. Now, 
there are a few confusing aspects about this latest development. So we've got three things you need to know, starting with the background. This all started in 2010, when two Swedish women accused Assange of sexual assault. He was living in London at the time, so he was arrested through a European arrest warrant. Assange lost his appeals and was out on bail when he decided to ask the Ecuadorian embassy in London for a favor. They agreed to grant him asylum, and he lived there for seven years. His hideout kind of worked. Sweden dropped the investigation in 2017, for the time being, but they said they reserved the right to reopen it if he ever left the embassy. That happened last month. Ecuador kicked him out, and Assange has been in a London prison ever since. He's serving time for jumping bail, so Sweden's knocking on the door again. Which brings us to the second thing you need to know about, the statute of limitations. That's the period of time after a crime has been committed that you can prosecute someone for it. So remember how we said two women had filed against Assange? Well, the statute of limitations has passed for one woman's allegations. But the other woman has accused him of rape. And the statute of limitations for that is 10 years in Sweden. So the government wants to get him to answer for those allegations before time runs out in August of 2020. To be clear, this does not mean that Assange will definitely be indicted. He's denied the allegations. And for right now, the Swedes are just prepping an arrest warrant so they can take him into custody and question him. If there are any criminal charges, those will come after they've had a chance to chat. Finally, this investigation could become a game of tug of war because the U.S. is also asking for Assange's extradition. The U.S. wants the U.K. to send him across the pond. Assange has been charged with conspiracy for helping former Army intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning decode a password and access hundreds of thousands of classified military and diplomatic documents. Those docs were then published on WikiLeaks' site, and they made the U.S. look really bad. Assange could face up to five years in a U.S. prison if he's convicted in the U.S. So both the U.S. and Sweden want Assange now. It will be up to the U.K.'s Home Secretary to decide whether to extradite him at all and which country gets first dibs. Then, if Assange is extradited to one country, the U.K. would have to be part of approving his extradition to the other country. So this is only the beginning. It's Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and a new report says Asian Americans are killing it. According to Nielsen, Asian Americans' buying power broke the trillion-dollar mark. That's the amount of money they have at their disposal. And that buying power is growing faster than any other demographic, which also means more financial influence. According to Nielsen, that's especially felt in the tech world. Asian Americans are more likely than the average American to own smartphones, access and share information online, and shop online. They're also becoming huge influencers on social media. And an analysis of census data shows that Asian Americans are the fastest growing demographic in the U.S. So a reminder for big tech, know your audience. Want to learn more about Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Head over to theskim.com news. Before we go today, we have some fun facts to remember legendary actress and singer Doris Day. When I grew up and fell in love She was born Doris Marianne von Kappelhoff. 
but went by Doris Day after her band leader changed her name to fit on a marquee. In the 50s and 60s, she appeared on screen with Cary Grant, Rock Hudson, and Ronald Reagan. She dated Ronnie before he was presidential. And for five years, she even had her own TV show. But she was also big into animal welfare and founded the Doris Day Animal Foundation and the Doris Day Animal League. In 2004, President George W. Bush awarded her the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Doris Day is one of the greats, and America will always love its sweetheart. Doris Day died today in her home in California. She was 97 years old. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks for listening, and be sure to hit subscribe. We'd also love for you to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. For more Skim, sign up for our free morning newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. 